have a let's have a moment where we actually do like an honest honest intro because i i have yet to devise some sort of actual like maybe fun little specific theme for us as opposed to using the the song topsy music uh so i figure just like a good old-fashioned regular intro would uh would do in terms of uh uh let's say let's say like a well, it's that time again sort of thing where Nick's away and the Mike and Steve will play. Aha! We are off the rails here with no conductor. <laughs> no con- and it is and by play we of course mean very dryly discuss things that occurred dozens and maybe even hundreds of years ago. On this week's episode of the aptly named Are You Telling Me? Are you telling me we're doing another episode of this, Steve? <laughs> yes, I am, where we dissect bad, bizarre, or otherwise noteworthy historical events. <laughs> Not to figure anything out, because they happened already, uh, but just to talk about it in the hopes that maybe Mike doesn't know what I'm talking about, and I can get him to utter those immortal words are you telling me? It is It is the best way to learn, folks. Let me tell you, when you are handed interesting information that you need to process, you need to make sure you heard people correctly. You need to process it live for entertainment value. Immediately. <laughs> or else the whole thing's pointless. Oh, this is, you know, this. I think this is some of the best edutainment people could get, Steve. And I don't even have to, like, look sexy for it. Which is usually what you have to do with it. You do that with your voice, Steve. I do. Uh, so we got a lot. We got a lot of, and by a lot, I mean for us a lot of uh, positive reinforcement the last time we did this. And and as I uh, think I brought up the first time we tried it out, it's I guess it's moved on from the experimental phase to the uh, implementation. Uh, and this is not an everyday thing. This is a, you know, very special sort of occasion. I honestly didn't think we'd get to another one this soon, but circumstances being what they are. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Nick. Uh, he he that, had a uh, little scratch in his throat. Yeah, so that's, and all, just that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry about old Nick. Nick Scratch, they call him, because of the how scratchy his throat is. Also, he's Satan. He listens to Satan music. So we call him Nick Scratch. Also, he always gets eliminated before the horse race starts. Every time. Yeah, and he always um, accidentally hits the white billiard ball in. Uh, I think that's as many as I can come up with. So today, uh, last time we had we had some fun. We talked about uh, some New York history. So we talked oh, about moving day. Yeah. Oh, Roddy Todd. Roddy Todd. Old Roddy Todd. Lincoln. <laughs> that's really taken off. I've seen like a lot of... I saw an interview with Steven Spielberg the other day where he was like, man, I wish I had listened to that before I wrote Lincoln because I would have had everyone calling him Roddy Todd or Robbie Todd. Oh, Robbie. I don't, oh, I don't know. Oh, man. Robbie. Oh, I, I'll tell you what. If that was multiple choice on the test, it would have been a real coin flip. <laughs> but today, it was, a little, I, I, there was, it was experimental, so there were some things that I keep, some things I didn't keep. You experimented like the Olympics did with the marathon in that one. <laughs> yes, thank you. That was the third one. Thank you, Mike. So for one thing, uh, 
it's incredibly onerous to try to come up with music theme titles for the segments. So to hell with that. So we have a show about music. We already have a music have podcast. A I was trying to do it to, to to sort of like have some sort of connective tissue, but whatever. We're on the show. We're the connective tissue. We're the tendon. Ah, uh, you've severed us from 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 the overlord of Sontopsy. Who's the overlord of Sontopsy? I just mean Sontopsy in general. It's uh, this. this oh, okay. It's an entity. This, we are we are forming our own body with this. <laughs> That's very gross. It's a very Attack on Titan take on this. Um. So we're going to. Uh, do things a little bit different. For one, after having a conversation with a friend of the pod, Andy, uh, I'm going to now be very cognizant of how often I say, um. Oh, he, he really cogn- busted you on that a little bit, huh? No, he didn't. Uh, see, I did uh, it already. God damn it. <laughs> no, he, he didn't. It was, it, was, it was less a thing about me and more a thing that he was, he was concerned with uh, about a project of his own. So now I'm going to be overly cognizant of that and uh, not funny because I'll be thinking about it too much. Oh, so thanks, Steve, Andy. would you like me to help you and just scream um at you every time you say it? No, please don't do that. That is not, that will not work. <laughs> just traumatize so, your attitude. <laughs> yeah, then I, I won't want to talk at all. Which might be an effective strategy in other arenas when people want to get me to stop talking, but not today. No, we need you to talk today, Steve. And I'm going to talk a fucking lot. Uh, and today, it's we're going to be... Yes, last time it was a little scattershot. The, the subjects, they didn't rhyme, as I like to say, because I'm a bit of a poet. A bit of a poet when it comes to history. So history, as they say, doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And I did not rhyme history very well. Uh, so... Today, I'm actually, we're actually going to stay on topic. We're going to have a single talk, topic that we're going to talk about. One single, single topic. To, one single topic. Oh. What's your, I have what, no idea what, if that was loud what's enough. You, what's, your, what's your opening up there, Steve? What you got there? This, 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 Mike, this is an ice cold Pepsi Cola. <laughs> we got this a sponsor, a, Steve? Uh... <laughs> Probably not after the episode. After I'm done talking, they might not sponsor us. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that most American of inventions, the soda pop. Ah, the soda pop called called both soda pop, Coke, Pepsi, depending on which part of the country you're in, could be any cola, cola, yeah, Dr Pepper. If you're weird, do some people do that where they call every soda Dr Pepper? No, I just feel like Dr. Pepper is a weird thing to drink. It's a spicy, you know, it's for the people who need a little spice in their life. 32 of them to be exact. (laughs) But uh, today we're going to be, you didn't know there are 32 32 spices? spices. Let's get to know. 32 spices in in Dr. Pepper. Doc Pep, I call him. (laughs) Unlike that 'er ne'er-do-well Mr. Pibb, who didn't even have the wherewithal to go to college for all eight years. (laughs) He was a family man, Steve. He had a family to take care of. He's a blue collar man, Mister Pib. So, Mike, do you enjoy do you enjoy soda from time to time? You know what? I'm. Uh, I'll tell you. So, I used to be heavily, probably even near addicted to the stuff, drinking a two liter bottle a day. Uh, a two liter bottle a day. Oh, easy, easy. If not, if not, two of them. Uh, and then I, you know, after my big accident, I met a man who had kidney stones because he drank Mountain Dew every day. And that terrified me. 
<laughs> like the idea of, of pissing rocks. So yeah. I, it hurts. I was like, I'm giving up soda. So I gave up soda for like a good chunk of years. And now I'd say I'm at a state where it's like a treat. It's like a little dessert. Occasionally yeah. get me I, an, I, orange, I have, an orange soda or a root beer, you know? Yeah, I'll have I'll have one. I'll try to keep myself to it because I also used to be a, a not as heavy of a soda drinker as some other uh, some pe- people might consider it heavy, but heavier than I I liked. Um, and so after a while, uh, it, it's a very easy thing. Like if you're trying to lose weight, I feel like it's a very easy thing to give up and shed some some weight. I feel like that's a like that's that should tell you how bad it is for you. <laughs> in that if you drink enough of it, if you just stop drinking it, you'll automatically lose like ten pounds. Well, I don't want to be fat anymore. But, stop drinking soda. Uh, yeah. So I I yeah. So it's 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 a it's a treat. I'm a, I'm having two this week, which is more than I should be having bad because Steve. I wanted a very bad. One was because I I wanted one while I was researching the episode uh, because I I just was reading the word Pepsi over and over again, and I thought to myself, you know, tastes good right now, a Pepsi. I could go for a Pepsi, yeah. And then before this, when I thought I would do some fun Foley work and open a bottle of Pepsi, but I don't think it was loud enough, so I might just use a sound effect. I heard a little... Okay, well, that could be anything. But we're going to talk about not just Pepsi. over there, Steve. Well, I'm drinking water because it's better for me. <laughs> so we're going to talk. We're going to talk about some of the some of the bizarre history surrounding that most August of evil industries, soda. And the, the, first the most we're August about was the, the, that most August of evil industries, <laughs> like of evil corporations. You know, I thought August was a great month. How come that means they're really bad? I mean, that's when t- typically you want an ice cold soda ah, is in the month of I August. I mean, this is, this is, this is true. But uh, so our first, we're going to talk about our first topic today, uh, and this to- uh, the topic, the title I've come up with it because <laughs> I gave up trying to come up with fun music titles. Uh, this is this topic is called this segment is called Nazis ruin everything. Oh, don't they ever! Mike, what are your opinions of Nazis? Let me tell you, Nazis are a bunch of jerks, man. First of all... A bunch of... Ooh, careful, Mike. This is a family show. Nah, dude. It's like, you know, you, you had to... You, just... Why you gotta kill all these people? Why you gotta hunt people down, kill them? And then why do you gotta, why you gotta take over a logo that used to mean peace and love, and now we can't even use the symbol anymore? Why indeed. And logos are gonna play a very big part in this. Uh, are you familiar, Mike... With a soft drink by the name of Coca Cola. Oh, Steve, I am I am quite familiar with the Coca Cola. They got they made Santa Claus. They made they invented <laughs> Santa Claus. You're right. I hope no children oh, are listening God. for a number of reasons. <laughs> and uh, and also they invented polar bears. And, <laughs> uh, oh, oh yeah. And, and obesity and. <laughs> Racism and <laughs> what else do they? What else do they invent? So yeah, I don't think I'm getting any sponsorship out of this. A brief history, oh, in case oh, anyone. And a lot of death in Africa, right? Didn't they do that? Oh gosh, you. Uh, there's a thing I missed. There's a topic I missed. But first, a, brief, Some, a lot of people a, died somewhere. That's okay. Uh, that that's going to be kind of a bit of a through line in this. Oh, okay. So. Ooh. A brief history of Coca-Cola, in case anyone's 
unfamiliar or interested, it was invented in 1886 by a man named Dr. John Stith Pemberton. Oh. And it was sold. What? His middle name was Stiff? Stith, T-H. This is funny because, like, you know, when you order a stiff drink, it's typically got some booze in it. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, Mike, Mike, do you enjoy Coca-Cola vis-a-vis its proximity to That's... other liquids that it adds, that it's added to? Such That's... a versatile, such a versatile yeah. beverage. A little rum in that Coke. Let's go. <laughs> Cuba Libre. Uh, very, rum and Coke. It's very yeah. versatile. Uh, there's actually a history behind rum and Coke. Unfortunately, we won't talk about that today, but look into it if you're, if you're interested. So John Pemberton, Dr. John Pemberton, sold this beverage at his pharmacy in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Pemberton was a Confederate veteran, and he suffered from constant pain due to a long, uh, long festering saber wound that he got in the American Civil War. So already off to a great start, Coca-Cola oh, wow. invented Co- by the Confederates. Coca-Cola, a drink for the for the Confeds. All right. <laughs> And actually, Coca-Cola got into some trouble years later. Part of the reason why Pepsi managed to eat into their market share uh, later on in like the 50s or 60s is because they tended, Pepsi started marketing themselves to the African-American community because Coca-Cola had a good old boy image to it due to its its like Atlanta origins and a number of different things. Oh my God, Coca-Cola's bread. Pepsi's blue. I mean, I feel like they've always been on the opposite sides of the spectrums here, like going for different kind of voters, different kind of drinkers. Yeah, they they could they could make the can gray. No one would have drank it, I guess. So that's why everyone hates he, diet Pepsi. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We figured it out. Not because it tastes like shit. So after the war, Doctor Pemberton became addicted to morphine, uh, as you do back in the day. And yeah, morphine's a hell of a drug, Steve. <laughs> he yeah, he wanted to he wanted to come up with an alternative painkiller because I guess it was hard coming up it was hard getting uh getting a decent amount of it. So naturally when you think of what else can kill pain other than morphine, you turn to cocaine. Cause if you if you can't make the pain go away, you can at least ignore it completely. <laughs> and start feeling real good about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just your feeling. I like this pain. This is great stuff. so coca-cola is made from extracts of the coca leaf where the cocaine comes from and the cola nut hence its name coca-cola and are you telling me a pharmacist (laughs) yeah yeah our first are you telling me of the show a pharmacist with a saber wound from the civil war who was fighting as a confederate decided you know what? I'm in a lot of pain. Morphine's too much, too droopy, too expensive, too whatever. But I got, I got, I got some other stuff here that seems to work for people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mix this all up into my beverage, and we're gonna see what happens. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And he sold it. It was a medicinal. It was, it was medicine. He sold it as a medicinal uh, sort of salve. Like people would come to his pharmacy and drink it, and it had, it was liquid cocaine. He sold liquid cocaine to the public. So naturally, it took off like wildfire. <laughs> Everyone loved it. <laughs> this Coca-Cola's great! <laughs> like, <laughs> its popularity, and now this is 1886, its popularity 
grew around the world, and eventually it found its way to good old Germany in 1929. Yo, this... Now, gotta ask you here, Steve. You know, if this guy is making such a hot item, I mean, do you think Coca-Cola sales through the 20s helped pull us out of the Depression a little bit? Or is that... (laughs) No, because after about 10 years, they when the company went public, they removed the cocaine from it. So then it was just a thing. It was just a thing everyone drank. <laughs> then it was the marketing. It was time for the marketing to take over where the cocaine stopped. Now, as you may or may not know, Mike, in 1933 in Germany, a very peculiar event happened where the a little-known group of folks called the Nazis and their leader, Adolf Hitler, came into power in Germany. And at the same time, in the same year, a man named Max Kite took over Coke's German subsidiary, Coca-Cola GmbH. Max? And I'm Kite, sorry, Max Kite? Max Kite. <laughs> His name's Kite, yeah. That's how it's pronounced. The German is spelled different. It's not spelled K-I-T-E. It's just, it's pronounced Kite. Now, Kite, Max Kite, loved Coca-Cola. <laughs> loved it. He loved it. He saw his life's work as being Anything, doing anything to expand the power and the prestige of Coca-Cola. That was his life. Up to and including tying the product to the new assholes in charge. Ah, uh, Coca-Cola, the Aryan beverage. Is that what you're selling me? Uh, yeah, that's what he did. His And his American counterparts, Mike, believe it or not, didn't discourage him from doing it. Well... If we're gonna if we're gonna sell more cans of soda, guys, what are we? What are this you? is our job. Like we're not political, guys. We're not gonna get political. We're staying out of politics. We just make and sell soda, and we're gonna sell a lot of soda. <laughs> um, so Coke sponsored Coke sponsored Coke even sponsored the Berlin Olympics, the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Coke sponsored them, and they made special banners that featured the Coke logo with the swastika. Shut. Ah, Steve! Yep. Are you telling me I could have gone? <laughs> if, I, if I was a fly on the wall in Germany, I'd be seeing Coca-Cola and Nazi flags all over the place. All over the place. <laughs> 1936, they were everywhere. Ah, uh, you know, and the red designs would really go well together, I think. <laughs> I know, right? You just turn the white swoosh on the Coke design black, and then you're almost there. <sighs> But Mike, I, but before we how do the hell did Coca-Cola make it, man? Because, because here's why: because you you got to understand how Americans viewed Nazi Germany at the time. Nobody knew anything about what they were doing or what their plans were. All anyone else saw, like there was a lot of American support for the Nazi government at this at this time, because all Americans saw were these guys came into power. Germany went from being a, a almost completely failed state to hosting the goddamn olympics they had prestige they had power like they all they saw was a couple it was a bunch of people coming in and doing really well at their <laughs> job like, wow you know what look at that underdog germany boy americans love an underdog story don't they <laughs> yeah so that's what that's there were some there were some people obviously that knew what was going on but for the most part americans had a somewhat favorable view of what they were doing so there wasn't nobody even thought to turn their nose up at the fact that coca-cola was Getting in, getting in on the action at the time. Now, in fact, at, at the company's 10th anniversary party, Kite 
Max Kite arranged a mass Zig Heil for Hitler's 50th birthday. Shut up. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. But despite this, it's long, it's actually, it's long it's been maintained that while he was certainly a collaborator, Kite's allegiance never actually belonged to Hitler, but Coca-Cola. Kite's allegiance was always to Coca-Cola. Not, Hitler was just, he was a stepping stone to the real power, which was Coca-Cola. Oh, my God. Now, so the Americans are in, so American Coke, they're fine with it. Then the invasions of 1939 began, which, of course, led to Coke shedding all connection. I'm just kidding. They were cool with that, too. (laughs) They had no problem. Kite's company We gotta keep these... We gotta keep these soldiers dranked up on some Coca-Cola. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Sure. I was just about to get to that. I was about to get that. Kite, Kite followed the invading armies into the captured territories to set up shop for Coca-Cola. Everywhere the Nazis went, like Belgium, France, everywhere they conquered, he was falling right behind trying to get Coke set up and ready to go. All right, we gotta ooh, new territory. We gotta set up some set up some vending machines here. Coke's conquering <laughs> Europe. Yeah, Coke's conquering Europe, Mr. Kite. Coke is conquering. Oh, so, that was the real goal, wasn't it? They're like, oh well, man, as soon yeah. as soon as the, the <laughs> as soon as that that iron's real nice and hot. We're going to overthrow Hitler, and Coca-Cola is going to become the ruler of the world. That was the plan. That was his. That was his plan. That was Max Kite's plan. And they were. They were. This. This was never actually proven. Now, this was never actually proven to show you how close the two were linked. That's never actually proven, but legends and rumors speak of love of Coca-Cola reaching all the way to the top. There's rumored to be a photo in the Coke archives of Hermann Goering drinking a bottle of coca-cola and another rumor that hitler himself would drink it while watching american films evidently he was a big gone with the wind fan <laughs> and you know what i'm sure dr no and i i bet you know i bet if he had still been alive dr pemberton would have been <laughs> too now ultimately oh, the thing that finally <laughs> the thing that finally oh, no. The thing that finally stopped American cola support, because here's the thing, Max Kite would just, he'd set up the bottling plants and the factories, and he'd use local water and gas, but the thing he had to get from America that you could only get from America was the special secret syrup, the oh, secret ingredient. The perfect the secret combination. <laughs> minus, minus the cocaine. That was the perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right up there with the herbs and spices in terms of American ingenuity and secrecy. So he still had to get the syrup imported. But after America declared war on Japan following Pearl Harbor and Germany declared war on the U.S., all American companies had to cease business with enemy nations. So this included Coke, who could no long, which could no longer send the secret formula syrup, formula syrup to the Third Reich. Oh, my God. Max Kite must have been freaking out, man. He was. But... <laughs> He was desperate, and more importantly, desperate to save his beloved soft drink. So Kite gathered together a team of his top chemists and came up with a new recipe with supplies that were available despite wartime rations. So a German Coke alternative was born, and they created it. They created this new recipe from food leftovers like apple fibers, beet sugar, and whey, 
Mike, I don't know. Do you know what whey well, is? Well, I know that little, little uh, Miss Muffin ate a lot of it. Yeah, and here's why. Whey is the liquid remaining after milk curdles in cheese making. It's spoiled milk oh water. Oh, my God. Who's so eating this? Spo- Germ- Who's going to drink this spoiled bullshit? That's- <laughs> the German Coke alternative is created from all of that st- stuff. Kite left it up to the team to name a new drink. He said, use your imagination. So one of the salesmen pitched uh, using the, like, capturing, like, the word imagination, invented uh, a shorthand for the German word for fantasy, which was fantasy or fanta. No, I just drank some fanta. (laughs) Well, congratulations, Mike. You just drank Nazi Coke. Oh, drinking Nazi Coke. Are you telling... So all these hot ladies doing the Fanta, the Fanta dancers are... No, madam, I do not want to Fanta. <laughs> no! Stop seducing me into Nazism. Oh. Uh, so... You can keep trying, though, but I just... Now, <laughs> so Fanta, that's the origin of Fanta, Fanta, Mike. Fanta. Don't you want a Fanta? <laughs> don't you want a Fanta? Don't you? Don't you, don't you? And maybe conquer France? Maybe, don't you want to? just maybe, don't you want to? <laughs> Uh, and what was great about it is because of the nature of its ingredients, Fanta could survive any wartime shortage and did, becoming the only soft drink available within the borders of the Third Reich. And was actually, you mentioned before, who would drink this? A lot of people didn't. A lot of people used it as a sugar substitute in baking and cooking because it was the only sweet thing available. I'm baking some cookies. Hand me over the Fanta. Give me that Fanta. Don't drink it. Whatever you do. <laughs> don't, oh, don't, don't. It's spoiled. It's spoiled. It's spoiled. On purpose. Eventually, as they marched through Europe during the Allied liberation, American troops would find Kite in a bombed-out Fanta plant, still bottling the stuff. He didn't. He, he was dedicated to his craft yeah. of <laughs> distributing soda. <laughs> distributing gross soda. Gross, terrible, like bottom of the barrel, bottom of the what the radish farm? What, what, yeah, what, beet, beet. Oh, the beet, beet farm. Sugar. Oh, Jesus. So are you are you so you're telling me that two soda companies, two well-known soda companies were like very well represented in Nazi Germany. That's not two. One, Fanta is owned by Coca-Cola. So they they found Kite, so what? they found Kite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they found Kite in the Fanta plant and after the war Instead of being castigated or set up as a collaborator, Coke HQ in Atlanta hailed Kite as a hero for keeping the spirit of the brand alive during the greatest world war that history and man had ever known, eventually making him head of Coca-Cola Europe. Oh. My. God. Now, Coke, but because of that... Because of that, Coke kept the copyright. They kept the copyright. So they controlled Fanta at that point. They ceased distributing it after the war, but then reintroduced it in 1955 as an orange drink. Yeah. Because at that time, Pepsi was coming out with a shit ton of crazy-ass flavors. With the sun, uh, sun, sun crest, sun cyst, I should know this. What's the, what's the Pepsi soda? The orange soda? No. Oh, Sunkissed. Sunkissed, yeah. yes. Oh, man. But they kept the name because they had the co- copyright. And as as a, a little final note, as Mark Pendergrast, the author of the book For God, Country, and Coca-Cola would write, 
I don't think, quote, I don't think anyone at Coca-Cola cared that Fanta had roots inside of Nazi Germany. I think they thought nobody was paying attention, end quote. <laughs> and they were right. And they were right. You know, if you if you if you can really if you can in your mind set aside all the horrific murders of innocent people that happened, and you look at it for just a guy who just really loved soda. Just this one, this one individual who's like, you know what? A lot of crazy stuff happening out here. Uh, None of my business. <laughs> I I just need to make sure people are drinking plenty of soda. And then when it's the like, soda couldn't come, he goes, "I'm gonna, I gotta, I gotta keep making this soda. I don't care I mean, how it gets made. We're gonna keep it up." <laughs> there were there were quite a lot of Germans like that, Mike. There, like, uh, um, uh, not what is uh the inventor, not the inventor of rocketry, but the father of rocketry, uh, Werner von Braun. So the guy who invented the V2 rocket, which was the wonder weapon they came up with, that the first intercontinental ballistic missile that they would fire at London. He came up with that, and then we got him after the war through uh, Project Paperclip. We got all those Nazi scientists to, and that he was the head of NASA. Oh, he ended dude. up becoming the head of NASA because he was so good at he was so good at rockets. And his basic philosophy was: once the rockets are up, who cares where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner von Braun. <laughs> that is the most susical, like historical sentence. Or the series of sentences I've heard about about Nazi that is Germany. From a, that is that is from a song, uh, a, a funny song I love. Oh, that's so uh, funny! By a uh, uh, by a, a humorist named uh, Tom Lehrer, who's great. He, he was around in the fifties and had a lot of songs, sort of like sort of like singing about what we're talking about here today. Oh, he's brilliant! That's... But uh, <laughs> go check him out. So that's the history so, of Fanta. So, so whole... <clears throat> I just need to process all this steve all the things that you are telling me well process fast we got two more subjects oh jesus christ i just if there's one thing that has come out of this for me is that soda soda's coca-cola it's 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 all very it's much dark it's a dark it's dark as as the drink itself it's It's a dark liquid it's a dark very dark liquid with a dark history uh also um you know what do you ever feel this way it's a slight, not really off topic. It's with the scientists there, Steve. But do you notice that, I mean, science, people love science. People love to talk about science. and that It doesn't seem like it anymore, but go on. Well, but you got to admit, science is, sometimes could be looked at as a pretty evil practice. Oh, yeah. It is. A, like it all of is. the shit, all of the shit that fucking Mengele did in the camps in World War II, all of that medical data was used a lot of it was useless like i wonder what would happen if i killed a twin and what would happen to the other twin that was useless but like he they committed a whole bunch of atrocities experimenting with hypothermia that data was used because that's they they did a horrible shit that no one would do and shouldn't do but the data was still useful that's why i don't like i don't like people studying me steve i don't like it it's like get out of here stop looking at me now i think my phone man let's we don't even need to get into robots and no, yeah, <laughs> nobody's studying you, Mike. You're putting it all out there for them to just see. Nobody has to use a magnifying glass. <laughs> so, so that was the the Nazi origin of Fanta. So, Mike, you, you say you don't care for Nazis? I'm uh, not a fan of them, Steve. Okay. Not a fan. How Although, about apparently, commies? I like their soda. What? Uh, what was that? 
How about commies? You like commies? Commies. Look, I wasn't like damn dirty reds. So I was. <laughs> That's socialism. Commies. Are I different. know. I'm just saying. I'm sure there's a lot of people on the right that would like to lay, throw me down in the commie lane. But uh, you know, I've learned uh, throughout most ways, Steve. That seems like a good idea, but boy, it just never works out with the commies. Well, if Coke was comfy with the Nazis. The commies needed their own Pepsi mascot to get in with. Their old their own soda mascot. Sorry, I buried the lead oh, yeah. there. And it's and its name was Pepsi Cola. I love when you say bury the lead when you reveal the leads. So yes, much. exactly. <laughs> I obviously don't know what the phrase means. Ah, oh, you're like, oh So this this segment is called Pepsi and Perestroika. 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 Stroika. Stroik. Oh, did I have to throw an O in there? O-I. O-I. Perestroika. Perestroika. Okay, great. Perestroika, you're using the, you're talking like Ninja Turtles right now. (laughs) That's what Donatello says it like that (laughs) in one of the Turtles movies. Uh, I told you, it's a disease. Perestroika, dude. Wow. (laughs) Perestroika was a, a, a sort of a cooling off period between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Mikhail Gorbachev really promoted it. Uh, and it involved a lot of American products finally reaching the USSR and a lot of their stuff, a lot of like import-export going on that wasn't going on for a very long time, except in one case, and that is a case of Pepsi. See what I did there? Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. I know. Super you you have joke. a case of the Knicks right now, man, with all these puns you're throwing out. Case, case of the Knicks. <laughs> Now, in 1959, Donald Kendall, Pepsi Company's head of international operations, under orders from then Vice President Richard Nixon. So you know it's a good story oh, already. No, hey, when Nixon's involved, something crazy's happening. Ain't no party likes a Nixon party because a Nixon party will be talked about before the Senate Armed Services Committee. <laughs> So under orders from Vice President Nixon, was sent to the Soviet Union as part of the 1959 American National Exhibition in Moscow. As part of a, a dual exhibition uh, in New York that year, there were representatives from the USSR who would set up an exhibition of what Soviet life was like, whether or not that's true or not. I don't know. They, they, were, they were putting on some airs. Okay. Uh, their, their new inventions and things like that. And uh, we reciprocated. We went to Moscow and held a, a similar sort of event. So everyone could come see what like American kitchens looked like and Ooh. dishwashers and what it was like to not wait in line for food. That sort of thing. <laughs> so Donald Kendall, Pepsi's head of international operations under the command of Richard Nixon, went with Nixon to the Soviet Union as part of this exhibition. He brought with him a team of Russian speakers, a supply of Pepsi syrup, and a carbonation machine. Oh. Nixon, Nixon brought... Nikita Khrushchev, the Soviet, the, the at the time the Soviet premier, the first post-Stalin bigwig, oh boy, to the Pepsi booth, where he sampled the beverage and reportedly said, "Drink the Pepsi Cola made in Moscow. It's much better than the Pepsi made in the U.S." <sighs> and there's actually oh. a very famous picture. There's a famous picture, and I all of our listeners should go look it up. And Mike, later you should as well of this exchange of Richard Nixon and Nikita Khrushchev drinking a, a, a cup full of Pepsi together and, like, having a debate. They were in front of this big 
like mock-up of an American kitchen and drinking Pepsi while Donald Kendall was pouring it like a bartender. Oh my! I'm sorry, Steve. I, I a, had to look it up, and now I'm looking yeah. at it. And dude, does he look pissed? <laughs> yeah. But that was the whole thing. They wanted it to. They they brought the carbonation machine because they just wanted to bring the syrup. They wanted the water and the gas to come from the USSR, so that it was like a perfect um, sales pitch. It's like here's like here's what you can do if we give you this and you use stuff you already have. This is what you could drink. Now. Uh, wow. And he just spit, thus, he spit right in his face, being like, oh, it's much better in Russia. <laughs> but he still liked it. That's the, that's all that mattered. We didn't, Kendall didn't care about what he thought about the U.S. He just wanted him to like Pepsi. Uh, so thus began the thawing of relations between the Soviet Union and, well, Pepsi, at least. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Who would, who would have thought, Steve, that, a simple carbonated beverage could start fixing relations between countries that have been at in the within. But this. it didn't, Mike. It didn't. It only fixed relations between Soviet Union and <laughs> Pepsi. We were still not happy with them uh, at all. These damn corporations always get to be their own entity. You know. Oh, oh, that's uh, no, that's that's a, that's a, that's a through line to the stories we're telling oh, okay. today. Trust oh. Me. oh. Keep hitting me with it, Steve. Let's go. Let's. So uh, that that one event opened up a decade later, a co- an exclusive contract in 1972 signed between the Soviet government and Pepsi-Cola. And that contract locked Coca-Cola from importing to any state that was a member of the Warsaw Pact. So any member state of the USSR and anyone they even slightly controlled, Coke, Non, non-existent, could not set up shop there. And essentially what Pepsi had in their hands was a monopoly on the soda market in the second most powerful superpower on the planet. Coke oh, had the U.S. sewn up. God. Pepsi, Pepsi had good old, good old Russia. They set up factories throughout the USSR, importing the syrup using Russian water and gas. And the first attempts apparently tasted like shoe polish, so they had some tinkering to do. So wait, so you're... You're telling me this, Steve, that our monopoly is not illegal in Russia. Our monopoly is just... No, because it's, they, they don't have... it's They're not ca- a capitalist society. There's no concept of monopoly. Oh Soviet my state God, is the monopoly. They're all commies. So they're the all... Soviet state is the monopoly. You know what? I don't know what's... I don't know what's evil. I don't... I'm trying to... I'm trying to be like... It's... Uh, is this why capitalism gets so gray sometimes, Steve? <laughs> like, well, who's to who's to say? I mean, they're supplying a beverage to a lot of different people. Just these people happen to be at war with us. Like, they are they are they are exercising the principles of capitalism in a place where no capitalism exists, and no one else is really allowed to do the capitalism over there except for this one company. No. But you're, you know what the problem, and that actually leads to my next point, Mike. You know what the problem with doing capitalism in a country that doesn't have capitalism is? How to get paid for it. Yeah. Because. Was, who's going to pay? Because, yeah, you're not, you're not, like, the, that's what capital is. You exchange <laughs> goods and services for money. The problem here is that the Soviet ruble is worthless outside of their borders. And the Soviet government wouldn't allow currency exchange outside of the country. So how do you make money? You got this monopoly set up. 
in a huge chunk of the planet. How do you how do you make money on it? So as with much of its citizenry, the Soviet government had to resort to a barter system. And what commodity, Mike, could the Russian economy part with the way we could part with soda? I'm going to give you one guess. Vodka? Vodka. (laughs) You got, you're goddamn right. Oh, that's what's up. Okay. Oh, we we got a deal over here. uh, I mean, mean, you're looking at the, the head of, you're looking at Kegel. It's not Kegel. Kegel? Kegel? The, the head of Pepsi. Oh, Kendall. Kendall. Yeah, Kendall. <laughs> Called him Kegel. Okay. Kendall. We're call- so you're, we're looking at Kendall must be looking at this deal like uh, like an 18-year-old. Well, I suppose it was legal to drink when you're 18. Like a, like a 16-year-old in high school trading a, like a 12-pack of Pepsi for like a few handles of vodka. Like Yeah, except this is the only case you can do that in. <laughs> This is the only instance where that works. It doesn't work at gas stations, trust me. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. I'm good for it. I got all this soda. Got all this soda. Points to the other refrigerator. Yeah, I got it too. <laughs> so the way the barter system worked, for every bottle of syrup Pepsi sent, an equal amount of Stolichnaya would come here. So Stoli, that's how Stoli got its foothold. Ooh, that's a rough vodka. <laughs> in the American market. <laughs> it was also the most popular vodka and the most widely available vodka in America for many decades for this very reason. Because Pepsi was just bringing the shit in. <laughs> and selling just, it for oh, profit. Oh, man. Because they're getting it. Oh, my God. They're getting it for the price of stuff. First of all, beverages are mad cheap to make anyway. I mean, the, the heads of these... These soft drink companies are real. Just, they knew how to make money. Yeah, I mean, they bottled at the cost of human lives. For Christ's sake! I mean, geez, these guys are water and sugar. They give people sugar water, and they make billions of dollars at it. Billions. Because I was like, I really, I really like some of that sugar water right now. Like, (laughs) I'm having some right now. Give give a shout out to Gorbachev right there. (laughs) Mm-mm. I love Pepsi. Goddamn commies. Oh, fuck it. Tastes like socialism. (laughs) Yo. So Hey, hey, uh, I think at the uh, they must be serving up a lot of Pepsi at the DNC. Did they you think they did? Why what are you what are you trying to say, Mike? You're part of the problem, Mike. (laughs) So this system, as you might imagine, worked pretty well for Pepsi. Until 1979, when the USSR invaded Afghanistan. This caused the U.S. uh, proper to boycott any Soviet-made goods over the next 10 years, which leaves Pepsi in a bind, because now they've got warehouses full of Stoli, and no one can buy it. They want to, but they can't. (laughs) like, we want the booze! (laughs) And they still couldn't trade in currency. So, in 1989, amid the slow collapse of the Soviet state... Pepsi went looking for something else the Soviets had in great abundance that was worth a lot of money that they also weren't using. And that proved to be, in a deal they signed that year in 89, a Soviet destroyer, cruiser, I was about to say, were they going to buy weapons or... (laughs) Destroyer, cruiser, frigate, and 17 decommissioned submarines. Steve! Are you... Are you... Are you telling me that Pepsi bartered liquid soda for 
actual military like ships. <laughs> like, Mike, what <laughs> I'm telling you is that in one deal worth upwards of three billion dollars, PepsiCo became the sixth largest military power on the planet. That's Get for real. The, the sixth largest. Out. <laughs> Get the frig out of here, okay? Jesus. Oh. So for the better part of a year, Pepsi had the sixth largest military accompaniment on the planet, which promote, which actually prompted Kendall, who at this point had been promoted to CEO of Pepsi Total. Was he also was he also the commander in chief of his now commander in chief of yeah <laughs> commander in CN the the CINC of of the Pepsi Armada? Uh, he remarked to President Bush H W Bush's national security advisor Brent Scowcroft, "quote We're disarming the Soviet Union faster than you are." End quote. <laughs> How's that and you taste, know what they, Coke? What are you doing? <laughs> I was gonna say. I was gonna say. And in now, here's where they went wrong, Mike. Instead of refurbishing these warships to launch an assault on the Coca-Cola manufacturing arm, <laughs> so they didn't. They didn't just like. They didn't just like sail this shit up to like the Atlanta Harbor and just bombard the shit out of the Coca-Cola HQ. <laughs> they didn't do that. They that should've. would have been soda wars. I mean, come on. That yeah. would have been. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Instead, they sold them for scrap to Norway for like billions of dollars. That's how much metal scrap like these this shit was worth. Wow. And all like the technical components, all of it that was worth three billion dollars. They sold it all. They also got, I didn't mention this, they also got a Soviet oil tanker, which, again, they didn't do the smart thing, which was fill it up with Pepsi and sail across the world just, like, handing out free Pepsi to people in the greatest marketing scheme ever devised. That would have no. been huge! No. The, the Pepsi, Pepsi There was no Pepsi tanker. No, there was no Pepsi tanker. <laughs> they sold that shit, too. Also to Norway. Norway was buying a bunch of shit in 1980. You gotta admit, though, Steve, when you're making sugar water and all of a sudden you can be handed billions of dollars for these <laughs> military huge military I, I can't get over this i honestly, <laughs> i mean you gotta go with the billions of dollars i mean how much are you really gonna make blowing up coke i i don't know i mean they certainly would have increased their market share uh, i mean this is <sighs> oh um, man but that's not the end of our pepsi adventure mike I have one more Pepsi-related topic. In case you were really impressed by Pepsi's maneuvering in that and you're like, man, Coke, they suck. They love Nazis. Pepsi's my soda of choice from now on. Here's where things go north. Uh, uh, let me let me guess, Steve. Is it when the Kardashian made the commercial drinking? No, <laughs> it was not. This was worse. No. Because that was bad. This was way... Uh, as bad as that was, it didn't result in death, which is what's going to happen now. Oh, no. In a topic, in a segment, I like to call almost as bad as Crystal Pepsi. Oh, tell me... Don't tell me Pepsi got in the meth market. Don't... No. Okay. No, no. Okay. It's actually a fun... I, I don't want to run out of time, so there's a fun Crystal Pepsi uh, story to tell, but I'll, that'll be for another day. So despite owning its own armada... Pepsi was not responsible for any loss of life or property destruction, at least for another three years. Because in 1992, 
A Chilean marketing executive named Pedro Vergara pitched to Pepsi-Cola International CEO Christopher Sinclair what would become known as Pepsi Number Fever. Pepsi Number Fever? Yeah. We're about to get into some real Willy Wonka shit here. <laughs> Pepsi's about to Willy Wonka the shit out of some people. <clears throat> Patterned after similar promotions in Latin America, Pepsi would offer to citizens in Argentina, Chile, Guatemala, Mexico, and most importantly, the Philippines, the chance to win cash prizes ranging from 100 pesos, which is about $4, to 1 million pesos, which is about 40 grand, by printing a number ranging from 001 to 999 inside the caps of Pepsi-Cola products. And every night, Pepsi would announce the winning numbers on local television. Oh. Pretty good idea, right? You got people buying a bunch <clears> of Pepsi, <throat> thinking they're going to win some money. Uh, oh, Steve, I'm, I'm starting. You're just thinking about the idea here, though, that there's only a thousand different numbers and there's a lot of people buying Pepsi. Well, Are we going to have know, some that's... similar numbers on these bottle caps? Like, <laughs> that's, you know, that's not, that's a problem they didn't think they were going to run into. <laughs> Uh, now, despite minting over 18 millionaires over the course of the promo, they made 18, and I mean millionaires in terms of pesos, not in terms of the dollar. Right. So they made 18 millionaires over the course of the promo. They still made a shit ton of money. And this, a lot of this is due to the fact that not only did the promotion increase their market share by like from like 5% to 25% of the market, but in the Philippines, at least, even the grand prize was the equivalent of 23 years of minimum wage earnings in the Philippines. But it was only worth about 40,000 U.S. dollars. Oh, so, so to them, it's just a drop in the bucket, dude. They're making money hand over fist in a very colonial way, in a very kind of not cool colonialist kind of way of like, well, to these people, it's a shit ton of money, but to us, it's peanuts. So we're just, <laughs> we're just making money off of this deal. There is something... Something dark about that, man. Just well, a, a part of it is a big history. Big part of the history of the Philippines is a history of exploitation. For the longest time, they were a colony of Spain, exploited by Spain. We fought in the Spanish-American War. We fought Spain, took over colonial duties. We were colonial power for about a century. We were the colonial masters of the Philippines. We exploited them. They gained their independence in forty-six, but did they really? Because now, instead of governments exploiting them. You've got corporations exploiting them. Mm. And that's going to have, that little bit of history is going to have a big uh, portion, a big thing to do with what's going to happen next. Wow. Oh, because no, no one's died yet. Okay. Yeah, no one's died yet. <laughs> uh, so all's going swimmingly, right? Until May 25th, 1992, when the grand prize number for that day in the Philippines was the number 349. It was announced on TV that night, uh, grand prize number. One million pesos. Your bottle cap has to say three forty nine. Now, in one in one part of the Philippines, which has several thousand islands, which so it's there's a lot of a lot of islands part of the Philippines chain that I didn't realize. So you got a lot of people in a lot of different parts of those islands, and in one part you've got a couple, and this couple searches through their collected caps and they find it, the winning Ooh, bottle cap, got it. and they dance. They're dancing. They're laughing with joy. And then five miles away from them, a taxi driver by the name of Ernesto de Guzman de Lina joyfully announces to his nephew that his 349 bottle cap had won him 
the grand prize. And his nephew joined in the celebration, for he had just discovered a bottle cap with the number 349 oh, printed on it. Shit. And he has won the grand prize. And then, miles away, a bus driver discovered he had three one million peso caps. <laughs> miles away, a mother of 12, whose children went through 10 bottles a day, had 35 million pesos worth of winning grand prize bottle caps. And all across the Philippines, scenes like this were playing out. We won! We finally won! <laughs> and these are people that, like, they win this. Like, this is a serious amount of these money. These are 23 they, years worth of pet. Yeah. And that's if they win one grand prize. These, some of these people are winning, like, three grand prizes. They don't have to work another day in their life. They are living high on the... They're, they've seen their days of suffering evaporate before their eyes. This is... The, the same sort of scene is happening across the country. Now, up until that point, the grand prize caps had been tightly controlled by Pepsi, with two caps printed each day, and this is very important, each with a security code for confirmation. However, a computer error resulted in 800,000 number 349 caps being printed, with only two of them having the customary security code. All told, about 32 billion dollars worth of winning caps had been printed billion american billion american <laughs> oh, 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 oh man that's a big that's a big screw him that's a big i'd hate to be the guy that put the code in right <laughs> like ooh. well ooh. it was a computer it wasn't the it was a computer uh, error. Yeah. like it wasn't it wasn't even human glitch. error yeah but oh, it wasn't even a, human error imagine being the it guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man that's this is this is an imagine being the IT guy and knowing something's wrong, but being like, oh, it's time to clock out. You know what? Oh gosh, guys! Oh, what that vacation I was going to take starts tomorrow. He walks away. He's got a sack full of coin of, of uh, caps with a number. <laughs> so, as you might expect, thousands of quote unquote winners swarmed Pepsi bottling plants across the country that very night, demanding their prize money. Pepsi then added fuel to the fire by initially trying to change the winning number, no. reporting the next morning that it was actually 134 and not 349. And then by that afternoon, police and soldiers were wrestling with throngs of rioting cap holders, executives desperately trying to reach Sinclair, the, the, the executive who had masterminded the whole thing. Sinclair, who was you gotta get out of here! <laughs> Incidentally, he was unreachable due to being on a yacht at the time. Oh, yeah. As yes. he's like, oh, man, that was a great scheme. I've got so much money. <laughs> great idea. Pat myself on the back. Certainly nothing could go wrong. They don't need to get a hold of me. So the next night, Pepsi announced a new, new scheme, new strategy. They announced that they would pay the holders of the false caps a goodwill gesture of 500 pesos, which is about 18 American dollars. Oh, my God. Now, over 400,000 people accepted that offer, and that cost Pepsi about 8.9 million U.S. dollars. Not a huge... They could stomach they that. They could stomach it, yeah. But that wasn't all of the people that were upset. There were more than those 400,000, and they demanded much, much more. One in particular, a man by the name of Vincente Del Fiero Jr. Ah, uh, Vin Vincente. <laughs> Vincente. 
And he was an advertising consultant and a sectarian Catholic preacher. So not like regular, regular Roman Catholicism. It was like a Catholic sect. So it was, I guess you could also be a Catholic preacher and work uh, in advertising. And don't piss off a preacher, man. They can get into people's heads. They can get a whole group of people doing crazy shit. Don't get ahead of me, Mike. <laughs> oh, I get. Oh, I like. Like where this is going. Let's. <laughs> he called the pro. He had called the promo initially a quote social disease that nurtures the gambling instinct within our children end quote. But nonetheless, also had a daughter with a winning bottle cap. So. Following a clash between protesters and the police outside of a bottling plant, he and the others took refuge at a nearby Dunkin' Donuts, a favorite hangout of yours. I do love me some D&D. He proceeded to stand on a table, as preachers would or want to do, and address the crowd, asking for a volunteer to take down the names of the winners present, and called for a crusade. He used the word crusade <sighs> against... The exploitation of third world countries by multinational corporations, as evidenced by Pepsi pretty much doing just that. Doing exactly that, yeah. Ah, um, okay. And believe it, believe it or not, uh, he, he formed a campaign that he called Coalition 349, funded completely with startup money given to him by the CEO of the local Coca-Cola I was hoping Coca-Cola would get in on this. I they was, are oh, some sneaky-ass oh, bastards. They're like, oh, you guys thought you were so funny monopolizing Russia, huh? That was, <laughs> that was kind of the other thing when I was talking about Crystal Pepsi earlier. You remember Crystal Pepsi? Like that, like when they came out with Crystal Pepsi and it was kind of like a... Like the Crystal Pepsi was a... A little bit of tangent. Crystal Pepsi was a... Uh, uh, what is, it was a free... Not sugar-free. It was a caffeine-free beverage. So right. It was like their caffeine-free version. And... With a, it's known today for being like a huge, like clusterfuck, uh, cost them a bunch of money. At the time, though, it was actually, uh, it tasted great, and it was the piloting was going really well, and people seemed to really like it, and it was going to be a hit. Coca Cola, seeing that that was going to happen, uh, in, invented a marketing strategy called it was something like negative, negative advertising, where what they did was they owned Tab. So you know Tab Cola. They owned Tab was one of theirs as well. So they came out with Tab Clear. So Crystal Pepsi, this they're coming out with a clear soda drink. So what Coke does is uh, uh, instead of coming out with a clear beverage that is caffeine-free, they came out with a clear beverage that was sugar-free. And it was Tab Clear. And they shoved that shit into the market so fast (laughs) and so hard. And they purposefully made it disgusting as hell, oh, so that from so then, then everyone on, starts thinking. everyone's like, "Chris, oh, clear soda? That's terrible." Based on my assumption of how terrible Tab Clear is, tanked Pepsi Crystal completely. Pepsi Crystal tasted fine, but Coca Cola infected everyone's mind with Tab. God, evil geniuses over there! Yeah, uh, let's so that's make what a they did really here. shitty soda. To make their soda look really shitty. <laughs> like, yeah, but instead this time they just funded a religious crusade, which uh, is always it's much calmer do, and never never ends. Poorly. Oh, I'm sure nothing terrible happened. I mean, what this this was so the the great cola cola coalition crusade. That's what was happening here. And other civilizations 
or not civilizations, other organizations would rise too. Not just this, co- not just the co- this coalition. There would be other similar organizations, often led or peopled by some of those people I mentioned previously, who were winners, quote unquote. And they all brought class action lawsuits and boycotts against Pepsi, and there was months worth of escalations. They would they would like hold protests that would turn into riots outside of bottling plants. They pouring, would, like, pouring out their Pepsi bottles and distaste. People, people were, people were throw. People were. There's several instances of this actually happened. People were throwing Molotov cocktails into Pepsi factories and at delivery trucks. And in one case, of a Molotov cocktail being thrown at a delivery truck. In one case, the drivers put out the flames with the Seven Up in the back. <laughs> so Seven Up, good, good to drink, good to retard fire, I guess. <laughs> Oh, this is insane. It gets worse. Also, I do hope, you know, if I was going to throw a Molotov cocktail at Pepsi, it's got to be in a glass Coke bottle. I feel like you really need to add the insult to the injury there. Like, Yeah. I think you might have thought about this a little bit more than they did, but they needed someone with your your business savvy, Mike. Ah, You know, I would have done great out there, man. (laughs) Wearing a, wearing a. Wow, man, what I don't know. Not Fanta t-shirt, because fuck those Nazi <laughs> bastards. Um, wearing another soda t-shirt. Uh, so the executives, they're getting death threats, bomb threats. This was the last straw, basically. F- the Philippines had endured those centuries of exploitation, and there was a lot of resentment built up. And it may or may not have been warranted for a simple computer error, but it wasn't about the error. It was about the hundreds of years of shit that had come before. And the escalation climaxed very sadly and somberly uh, on February 13th, 1993, when a grenade was thrown at a Pepsi delivery truck outside a shop in Manila. The grenade bounced off the truck and exploded near the shop, killing a school teacher and a five-year-old girl and injuring five others. Oh, no. And the next month, another grenade would be thrown into a Pepsi bottling plant in Davao, killing three employees. So now we got five people dead, one of them a child, from fucking grenade attacks. Grenades! Grenade attacks. Holy crap. Uh, so now, now things are escalating out of control. Committees are being formed. The, like the, the Philippines version of the FBI is getting involved. Blames being thrown all over the place. Can I? Can I get? Can I? I I know this sugar-free and caffeine-free soda is real great, but where can I get me some like um, some? Uh, oh shoot! What's the, what's the word you were just using? Exploitation-free soda. Exploitation-free. Some exploitation. I'm gonna start the first exploitation-free soda. Is there is there any way I cannot drink a blood diamond, please? <laughs> It- <laughs> That'd be great. So, like I said, the the F, like the 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 fed the federales they're getting involved. Uh, the public like the, the there's blame being thrown all over the place. Some suggested that Pepsi actually went so far as to hire mercenaries to frame the protesters with these grenade attacks to swing public opinion. Others were suggesting the attacks were flat were flat. The attacks were false flag <laughs> operations. Oh, 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 Steve, you couldn't help. Oh, Nick's going to love that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> flash flog. Flash flog operations. It's all the Pepsi I've been drinking. Um, 
uh, were false flag operations from rival rival soda manufacturers, which I don't know. Coke might Coke might have thought about doing stuff stuff like you that. You know what? There's at this point, I think anything's possible. I mean, I think about it. Think if you can if you as a as a conglomerate corporation of soda soft drinks could pay somebody to go throw a grenade somewhere and then like knowing it's just gonna cause so many problems. I mean, these great soda wars. I mean, Steve, I think there's gotta be some conspiracies, some cola conspiracies here. You know what? And at this point, I'd welcome them. I'd welcome any conspiracy that actually doesn't do any damage. Huh. Or... I hope it doesn't mountain do any damage, Steve. <laughs> That's a good as place as any to end, I guess. Um, the the protests died out shortly after these horrible attacks. Pepsi, though, ended up fighting through these lawsuits up until 2006, when the Philippine court finally ruled in its favor. So Pepsi pretty much got away with it oh my god like and a, i was drinking that stuff religiously during all that time uh and to this day in the uh, to end this in this day in the philippines to be 349 is local slang for being duped so you're telling me steve at the end of the day you don't want to get 349 i i, no. I love it's the worst number to get. That's a bad number. Three forty nine. I feel like I this. You know, I I've got some some friends who are Filipino, some of my closest friends, but I think this is some of the most like historical context I've gained. Like, next time you go hang out with them, bring your bring a bottle of Pepsi, open it, pour it out onto the ground in front of them. No context, no explanation. Don't tell them what you're doing. Just pour it out. And then hug them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna. It ain't right, Steve. It ain't right with these. God damn it, Pepsi. Oh, and they, you know what? You know what? Maybe it's probably their fault. Britney Spears is locked up too. You know they had her on a lot of ad campaigns, and now look at her. Any everything Pepsi yeah, touches not, goes. Not not to mention they. Uh, not to mention they uh, set Michael Jackson on fire and got him addicted to painkillers. <laughs> but that that's a story for another time. On a different episode of Are You Telling Me? Wow. Steve, and I... I don't know about you, Mike, but I could go for a nice glass of iced tea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds nice. Maybe a little Arnold Palmer. Don't tell me he did something terrible. He's just... Arnold Palmer, the racist murderer? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. He murdered racists. He's oh, a racist murderer. Oh, he's the good kind of murderer. Okay. Yeah, that's the kind of murderer I can stick up for. <laughs> now, now the creator of Lemonade though was a horrible genocidal madman. But so that you have to contend with that. I'm glad all these children can carry on his name with their stance. Uh, but that was uh, uh, that was. Are you telling me a bad, bizarre, noteworthy history podcast from uh, from who again? Wait, from well, this will be this will be our outro. Oh, this is our outro. Oh, uh, from. Mike Russell. And where can we find you? Oh, Mike? we're going to do that whole thing. Okay. We're ah, going to do the regular oh, yeah. thing. Uh, the, the, this, this episode of Are You Telling Me is brought to you by MrMikeRussell.com. That's my Instagram. Go check it out. That's MrMR.dot. Uh, and much like PBS, if you tune in to Mike Russell, you'll get a free tote bag. <laughs> Whoa.
Did you say a tote bag or a tote bag? Yeah, I said a, I said a tote bag, but then I thought tote I feel bag. Like I can afford more tote bags depending on how many listeners we get. Like, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, Steve, it's so funny. You know, typically I'd ask like a question or a poll, but now I'm like, this is a different show. I don't even know what what I what I should do. Do I find out? You know what? Oh, this will be great, Steve. Instead of like a poll where it's fill in the blank, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask you. Are you more of a Coke or a Pepsi person? That's what we're gonna find out. The <laughs> the 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 one poll that's never been asked of anyone ever. <laughs> you know what? I think after listening, though, people might change their minds. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, if, gonna... <laughs> if, o- if only the two companies we're talking about didn't own every soda. Are you gonna support? The, the soda company that supported Nazi Germany, or are you going to... It was started by Confederates. Are you going to support the commie exploitation of the Philippines? These are the questions. That's the two questions you should ask. Oh, man. And uh, and I've been your host for this journey and John Through History, uh, Stephen Trollinger. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at YourManTrollo. Uh, on the Dapper Devil Productions website, on my personal website, stephentrollinger.com, and and uh, on the regular Song Topsy Report, which we will hopefully get back to next week. And, uh, yeah, if that's, if that's it for you, Mike. That's it for me, Steve. Thank you for telling me all sorts of nonsense. <laughs> that's what we market in, Mike, and unlike soda, so far, nonsense hasn't killed anyone. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Well, I was wondering if you'd say the take care. That's key. <laughs>